tonight, teetering on the edge of a bear market. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. Here's an understatement for you. It's been a rough start to the year when it comes to investments. Talk of a recession, of course, we're seeing headlines all over the place. I woke up this morning, looked on Market Watch, and just shut it down. It was everything was one headline after another headline, all of it being super negative. So we want to get the Simply Money all worth perspective on this. Let's get into the numbers with the Chief Investment Officer, uh, Officer Andy Stout. Uh, Andy, there's a, I'm, I'm telling you, the headlines are getting more and more negative by the day. Uh, where are you? You're not, you're not losing sleep yet, are you? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not losing sleep, and and there's a couple reasons for that. One is I'm first of all very sleep deprived in general, so <laughs> when I go to bed, it just lights out. Uh, the second reason is we go in cycles, right? We're going to have periods where it's just miserable, both on a uh, economic standpoint, which re- recessions, or you know a stock market or bond market standpoint. So when we look at this, yeah, it's been. It's been a roller coaster ride to say the least, and there's certainly been a pattern, right? The Dow's dropped for seven straight weeks now. That's the longest stretch for the blue chip index since 2001. The S&P and NASDAQ, they've each dropped six weeks in a row. And this is the S&P's worst stretch since 2011. Mm-hmm. But Andy, I mean, the numbers are bad. But they're not unprecedented. I, I mean, the S and P's down sixteen, eighteen percent year to date. That's that's a, a hefty correction, but it's a correction. Why? Why do you think investors are are just more anxious these days? Well, I think it really comes down to a few things. But one of the main ones is the ability for the Federal Reserve to thread that proverbial needle and engineer a soft landing. What I mean by that is they are raising rates to uh, try to reduce inflation. However, when they raise short-term interest rates, that cools the economy, slows demand. The concern is by raising rates too quickly, they could push us into a recession. And so what they would love to be able to do is raise rates to cool down inflation, but still keep the economy growing. That's what a soft landing is. And there's increasing concern out there from market participants that the Fed's ability to engineer that soft landing, well, we'll see. It it sounds easier than what it actually is, and the Fed hasn't really had a great history of actually being able to do that. Andy, you're talking about inflation, right? We got new numbers last week that showed, hey, it's moving in the right direction, but maybe more slowly, at least more slowly than a lot of economists were predicting. Right. So we may have seen peak inflation in March when the year over year CPI, that's your consumer price index, when it was 8.5% higher compared to the same time last year. Economists were looking for this to cool down, and it did but not as much as what people were hoping for. They were looking for that 8.5 to drop to 8.1, where it actually went to was 8.3. So this does tell us that maybe we did have peak inflation. However, we should not be expecting a rapid decline in inflation anytime soon. Inflation definitely appears to be a, a little bit stickier, especially as when we, I, I like to look under the hood at these numbers, as you know, Amy, and I like to separate inflation at different categories. I look mm-hmm. at goods inflation versus services inflation. And fortunately, goods inflation is moderating, moderating and that's a, that's a very good thing. However, services inflation is remaining stubbornly high 
part of the issue is that shelter costs, uh, which include rent as well as your mortgage payment, uh, housing prices, that all flows in there. Uh, those are elevated and that's putting pressure on the service side of things. So that's one thing that I'm watching really carefully. Fortunately though, and here's the thing, what can have an impact on bringing shelter costs down is higher mortgage rates. We're seeing uh, the 30 year mortgage right now at about 5.4%. Right. And when the Fed raises short term rates, that has an impact on mortgage rates as well. So this could slow down shelter costs, but it's not going to happen right away. It does happen with a little bit of a lag. Well, Andy, I, I think you, you've hit on a, a bunch of variables that the Fed is trying to use to, to bring inflation down. I, I, I mean, that's I that's what I think concerns me the most is it's not just one item. It's not just the uh, inflation is high and we're going to address it with higher interest rates. We have so many issues going on with, with supply chain uh, concerns, which uh, with the covid uh, lockdown in China. I mean, you, you can you can go right across the board and, and, you know, name half a dozen different things that are all really concerning. Now, the, the Fed's coming out this week uh, with nine different speeches. I, I think Jerome Powell is uh, speaking tomorrow at, at about two in the afternoon. Um, I'm sure they're going to be addressing the recession concerns. Do you expect any surprises? Well, I certainly expect some tough questions for uh, Fed Chair Powell, especially about the Fed's ability to raise rates and still keep the economy growing. Uh, on the Fed's side of things, the consumer is still in good shape. Savings are built up, so that's good from that perspective. And also, the housing market is very tight. So typically in a recession or when the economy slows down, you see businesses lay off people and you see the unemployment rate increase. You know, with more than 11 million job openings out there right now uh, and the unemployment rate are already really low. Yeah, uh, we've got two jobs for every every person unemployed right now. That's that's <laughs> kind of unprecedented. It's uh, definitely a big number out there. So, yeah. yeah, I guess we could all go get an extra job if we need to uh, in the event of some recession. But the, the point is, because the labor market's so tight, that's going to help the consumer weather the storm. And with consumer spending being about 70% of the total economy, that should help uh, keep growth uh, really in the forefront and keep it on the positive side of the ledger. Now, of course, that's no guarantee on anything, uh, so, I mean, recessions are possible. They're part of life. They're very normal, actually. They're not fun to go through, don't get me wrong, but they are normal. And the, at least the economy is in a position right now, uh, in a position of strength. So the Fed is starting to raise rates relatively aggressively, but at least the consumer and the average worker and the economy, it's starting from a position of strength. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, teetering on the edge of a bear market, right? Making sense of that. Our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, joins us tonight as he does every Monday. Um, and I think the big question, Andy, for so many people, you mentioned that concern of a recession. Um, and of course, one is always coming. It's part of a healthy market cycle. Um, but at the same time, there's all kinds of headlines over there out that I've seen about by summer or this month or it's right around the corner. You have been pretty open in saying, hey, I don't foresee one this year. Is that changing at all? I mean, no, not not too, too much. I mean, I think the biggest risks for a recession are in the latter part of this year. So I don't 
I don't see one happening in the next six months or so. But when you look beyond six months at a lot of what we call leading economic indicators, which are data points that move before the broad economy moves. Too hard to do. They, well, they just become less reliable, yeah. right? So in today's world, looking six months out, I feel relatively confident about that. I'm not saying there's zero percent chance of recession. There's a non-zero percent chance of recession in, in, in the next uh, six months. There's always that chance out there, but it's relatively low. But when we look out a little bit further, you know, that's where the, the risks always get a little bit higher. So will we have recession? Yeah, probably. We always have one eventually at some point in the future. Would I be shocked if we had one next year? I would not be surprised at all about that. Uh, is it possible there's one later this year? Yeah, if it does happen, it's probably very late in the year. But, you know, here's the thing, as you just said, they're normal. It is part of the business cycle. Uh, so when we think about that, you just got to put it all into consideration. And then you want to think about the fact that markets and economic cycles don't always move together. Usually the markets move before the economy does. And when we when we kicked off this uh, show here I mean, we talked about, you know, the S&P being down for six weeks in a row. Well, here's the kicker on that. If you look out, you know, that that's happened, by the way, since 1945, 15 times. Okay? okay. And when I was looking at this data over the weekend, basically two thirds of the time, uh, markets were higher one year out. And if I looked out a little bit further, three years from now, well, guess what? Markets were higher 14 of those 15 times. So you know, what that suggests, right, is that it's not necessarily a bad time if, if an investor has, at least from an historical perspective, if they have cash sitting on the sideline or they're not at the right allocation of where they need to be from a long term perspective, you know, dipping your toe in now could pay off in the long run. Uh, and I understand it's hard to do when you see all this volatility. So that's where dollar cost averaging can be a very useful tool to help you get your allocation to where it should be. I, Andy, that that's a really, to me, that's a really important point because most investors are fixated on what's happened so far. I, I mean, they're getting, you know, last month's statements and seeing, you know, in most cases, a pretty significant loss and, and saying to themselves, at this rate, I'm going to be out of money in, you know, a couple of years. And, and but, but the markets have always recovered I, I, I think they always will recover. And instead of looking at, well, you know, what do we need to do to stem the blood loss from further losses? If you look at it historically, we've seen some rebounds. And, and that, that leads me to my question. Bonds have gotten shellacked. I, I think that's one reason for anxiety is, is they're down instead of being their usual, playing their usual role as a shock absorber. Yet, yet bonds showed signs of life last week. I, I mean, is there a chance that the, the route in the bond market is over? Yeah, it, it is possible. I'm not going to deny that because if you just think about what's affected bonds this year and what's affected stocks this year, right? It's been higher inflation, the sure. expectation that the federal will raise rates. And because if you look at where we started the year, the market was expecting or actually literally pricing in that the Federal Reserve would have raised rates a, a three-quarter point rate hikes, a total of 0.75% for the entirety of the year. We've already had that, Steve. And now the market is pricing in almost an additional two percentage points. That's what's priced in. That's what's known today. That's why bonds have already taken the hit. The question is, what's going to happen in the future? Right? We could see the Fed hike rates 
1.5 percentage points more this year, which would be you know a lot more than what was expected at the beginning of the year. Right. But because of what's expected now, if the Fed did that, guess what? Even though those rates would be rising by the Federal Reserve, the longer term rates would actually come down. And what you would see, you would see bonds in general increase in value because bond prices and interest rates, it's like a teeter-totter. One goes up, the other goes down. So if those expectations, which are kind of lofty at 2%, if they don't get fulfilled at that level, then you'll see bond prices rise. If the Fed ends up being a little bit more aggressive than that, then you'll probably see bond prices come down. Now, to answer your question, what's going on? They got shellacked at the beginning of the year. That's what's happened. What could happen going forward? Well, it depends on how the Federal Reserve uh, reacts to things. But if we look at the bond price action, what we have seen, it's kind of been a little bit of a shift, right? So, you know, up until about last week or so, when bond prices were going down, so were stocks. Last week, stocks went down and bond prices went up. So there appears to be, and this is very short term, so we'll have to see how this plays out, but there appears to be that maybe uh, we, we could be the near the beginning of where bonds start to behave more like the safe haven like they have over the past 40 years. Let's hope so. Here's a simply money point. During a financial downturn, don't panic. Understand this. What goes down must come up. Andy has all kinds of research and data points that show exactly that when it comes to the markets. Next, a new reason why you shouldn't count on Social Security benefits to solely take care of you when you retire. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. So many things going on in the markets and the economy right now. If you are getting close to retirement, it can be a little bit scary. So we've got a special event coming up, Retirement Risk Workshops, happening on May 19th and 21st, free one-hour in-person workshop. You're interested, just go to allworthfinance.com. All the information is for you right there. Straight ahead at 643, how to avoid three possible mistakes on your road to retirement. You know, I love a good James Bond movie. Um, you know, it seems sure. like he can do no wrong. Well, it turns out uh, the actor who plays the latest Bond, James Bond, uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig, you know, has has accrued a few a few bucks along the way. In fact, he's worth a reported hundred and sixty million dollars. With two kiddos, you would think those kids would absolutely be set, and he <laughs> does not agree in inheritance. In fact, he calls it distasteful. He, he's he's got a 29-year-old 29 daughter from a previous marriage, and I'm thinking, you know, a 29-year-old kid is, is saying, you go, Dad. They're offering you $25 million to do the next bond, maybe $100 million for the next Knives Out. Knock yourself out, Dad, because, you know, she's thinking, you know, someday this will all be mine, and he, he comes out and says he finds it dis distasteful yeah. to leave heirs massive amounts of money. Um, poor, I, I'm sure it didn't make his kid's day. So he's not alone. <laughs> In fact, I think I've no. seen a, a number of people speaking out about this. And I was thinking, I think it's Shaquille O'Neal. I know there's a big NBA basketball player who has talked about this. Warren Buffett as well uh, was really kind of open about this. He says, it's incomprehensible to me, right? I'm worth $100, billions, $100 billion to just send that to my kids when i think about how much of an impact that could be making on the philanthropic causes that are near and dear to my heart and i think he made a really interesting point too he says you want to give your kids enough money where they can do anything right mm -hmm. where they feel mm -hmm. empowered by that money but also not enough money where they feel like they don't have to do anything at all i have a really good yeah. friend whose son 
randomly inherited a lot of money from a from an estranged uncle. Okay. And he was still in college when it happened, and truly the news meant he would never have to work. Oh, my goodness. But he didn't choose that. <laughs> right? He didn't choose that. I'd but be he dead in have. a week if that happened to me in college. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's interesting. And then, of course, for, for all of us mere mortals, we will not have maybe $160 million to pass on. But it does leave with, a, with an interesting point because I talk to so many people who do want to leave some yeah. money to their children. And I think that's a great priority to have. But also beyond that, um, making sure that your kids know that they are expected to stand on their own two feet like many of us were expected to do. Yeah, I, I mean, that wasn't a concern um, in, in my household by any stretch. That <laughs> you were <laughs> I, never going to have to honest, work, huh? Honestly, my, my dad just wanted to make sure all of his credit cards were paid off towards the end, which is kind and of sad. And that's normal. But, uh, no, you know, it's very normal. Sweet. Yeah, and, and, you know, we all want to leave our kids in better shape than we were left. I, I, I think that's that's yes. healthy, you, you know, but it doesn't mean, you know, when you really, really strike it big that you have to leave everything to the kids. I, I've seen, I grew up in a resort town, Amy, that, you know, we, we were middle class and that's pushing the definition, but I went to, to high school with some kids where, I, I mean, you know, self-made gazillionaires. Yeah. And I saw what happened to some of those kids that were given everything in life and it was not pretty. So yeah. I, I think there's a, a lot of value in having having children earn their way through life, but maybe give them a little bit of head start. That's that's not bad. I, I, I like the bumper sticker that says, I'm busy spending my children's inheritance. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I, I, I think you should enjoy life, and but leave the kids something, but not crazy amounts. James Bond might be onto something here. You know, we often talk about Social Security, Steve, and we just remind you, hey, it was only ever set up this system to replace 40% of your income when you're working. But there is a startling statistic that recently came out, which proves that point uh, to a huge degree. The Senior Citizens League, right? This is a nonpartisan group. It focuses on issues relating to older Americans. Say Social Security recipients have lost 40% of your buying power since 2000 because of inflation, right? Eroding yeah. that buying power. That's, that's a huge percentage. It, well, well, it is. And, and you know, that's it's the silent killer of, of uh, your finances, yes. inflation. And, you know, it, it could be, let's, let's be serious, senior citizens buy different things than 25-year-old urban couples. You know, so, you know, blue plate specials, they're starting to go up in value. You know, it's, it's at the same time. Getting health, yes. I'm paying attention specials, to these things now. <laughs> blue yeah. plate specials and health care. Right. And yeah. I think it's interesting because Social Security, there's a cost of living adjustment every year, but it's tied to CPI. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are saying, OK, that actually tracks what urban wage earners, right? The typical yeah. basket of goods that they would buy, which they're not super worried about. Not healthcare. the retiree. Yes, yeah. not yeah. the same expenses. So there's a lot of people out there advocating for a consumer price index for the elderly, right? And that Social Security would take that into account. Interesting concept. I don't see changes in that way in any time soon. No, I, I mean, if it involves the federal government spending more money, you know, this this is, yeah, this is not one of the sexy areas that, you know, the current 
group in Washington seems to want to spend money on. I just I, I love the name. The Senior Citizens League sounds like a bunch of superheroes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I want to be part of this. Yes. You know, do they do they swoop in and turn off your left hand turn signal if it's been on more than five miles? I, I, I mean, <laughs> this just it sounds like something I want to be in. Can the Senior Citizens League please call Sprovac and <laughs> draft him? He's interested. Here's the Simply Money point. The future of Social Security and how inflation impacts it is out of your control. So focus on your investments, right? what you can control because they should ultimately be more helpful to you in retirement. Just how threatening will inflation be to our economy and your investments in the future? We're going to explore that question with an internationally known expert on money and taxation. That's next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I used the word inflation over the past year, well, I wouldn't have to worry about inflation. I'd be a very rich person. All kidding aside, though, inflation has impacted every single one of us in, in very tangible ways over the past year. So much so uh, that Steve Forbes, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames wrote a book about it titled Inflation. And Nathan Lewis is joining us on the show tonight. Let's talk about why why you guys decided we're all talking about inflation you guys decided to write a book about it uh that's right um because although although we like to talk about it a lot uh, the understanding of of the factors that are, are happening right now the influences is not very good uh today even among the experts and it hasn't been very good in the past either we thought we were going to hopefully straighten that out a little bit so in your book, you talk about, and I think there's a common definition that a lot of people use, which is too much money chasing too few goods and services. You say, hey, uh, not so much. It's a lot more nuanced than that. That's right. Um, a, lot of, a lot of different ideas kind of get thrown into this inflation basket. It arises from popular speech. The first thing is, is we really have, there really are supply-demand issues. We're having a lot of those right now. There really are factory shutdowns and shipping issues on the ports and yeah. shortages of diesel fuel. And, and, and those are all real, and those are all pushing prices higher for a lot of things. And, and that's, that's quite unusual. Usually these things are resolved pretty quickly. Um, so that's obviously not a monetary issue. Um, it's just what it looks like. Um, but then there are also monetary issues. And this is, has nothing to do with supply and demand. This is really just the central bank mismanaging the currency. Uh, and the best way to think about it, we find, is we have a floating fiat currency today. It goes up and down in value. We all know this, but we often assume that it's not true. We have a stable currency. But sometimes it goes down in value, and it stays down. And what happens afterwards is markets adjust to this. It's very easy to understand. If, if a currency fell to half of its value, then following that, markets would tend to adjust so that prices double to compensate. Mm -hmm. And that's happening, too. So if you are going to distill this down, right, because there are headlines all over the place, Nathan, talking about what this is, why it's happening, uh, how it's impacting all of us, um, could you distill it down to one thing? The most important principle uh, we find is that money should be stable in value. And, and the way we accomplished this in the past was by linking the value of the dollar to sure. gold which had always been for centuries a measure of stable value. And it wasn't the United States. Everybody did this. And in the process, we became the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And, but we don't have that system anymore. Since 1971, we have the floating fiat currency system. Uh, you know, a bunch of central banker guys make stuff up as they go along. And typically, whenever there's a recession or COVID or whatever, 
they panic and there's some kind of easy money solution and the currency tends to lose value. And that's basically what's happening, uh, some part of what's happening now. And it's basically going to continue to happen until we find some way to stabilize the stabilize the currency's value. And I'm sure you're also referring here to right the stimulus money. So much stimulus money flooding the market at the same time. The Federal Reserve uh, quantitative easing, right, buying so many bonds to get that liquidity in the market. All of those things happening at the same time. You also mentioned supply and demand. We kind of have this perfect storm of factors, uh, but you seem to be pointing to one above all others as maybe what's creating that. But you also talk about in this book how to fix it, and I want to get into that because man. There are people don't agree on what inflation is, but they certainly do not agree on how to fix it. Yeah, no kidding. That's exactly why we wanted to to address these issues. First of all, there really are supply and demand issues, whether it be housing or labor market or baby formula, whatever it is. And those are real. And the only way to fix those, you know, the Federal Reserve can't fix the baby formula problem. No, Uh, we can we can pin a lot of things on them, but not that. Yeah, and but there are a lot of things like that, and those are are probably more than half of the recent high CPI readings are actually related to those sorts of things. Um, but in terms of the monetary side, we did have a we think a significant decline in currency value, and at the very least, don't let the currency fall any further. And and you can achieve this in a kind of a seat of the pants, make it up as you go along method, which is how uh, Paul Volcker and Alan Greenspan ended the inflation of the 1970s. They just stop the trend tendency for currency decline. Uh, but to to institutionalize and regularize regularize it, the, the long term solution has always been in US history and around the world to fix once again to fix the value of the currency to gold. Take it out of the hands of these central banker guys making stuff up and have a you know, established benchmark of value. So you think we need to reestablish, right, that benchmark value, tie the dollar once again to gold? That is, if if a the monetary type of inflation is a decline in currency value, leading then to rising prices, then obviously the solution to avoid that is don't let the currency fall in value. And we did this for almost two centuries, and it worked. As long as we stuck to that principle uh, throughout U.S. US history, we never had an inflation problem. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We're joined by Nathan Lewis, who, along with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames, wrote a book on inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. As we dig into how to fix it, um, you're talking, Nathan, about the fact that if we could just keep the dollar stable, right, tie it to something, we wouldn't have this issue. But that's not what we're doing. We have the Federal Reserve who's raising interest rates, hoping for a soft landing. Um, And I'm wondering, as you have uh, done your research for this book, as you look at it, and there are economists that fall on both sides of this, right? There's possibility for a soft landing because of the way the labor market is right now. And a lot who are saying, hey, the chances of that are becoming slimmer and slimmer. I'm wondering, where do you fall? Right, right. Today we're getting this sort of, well, we need higher interest rates uh, proposal. And uh, related to this, there's sort of the idea, it's really stupid when you put it in these terms, but uh, while we have all these shortages, sort of like reduced supply, right, shortages, uh, and the solution is is to have less demand. Well, if we just have higher unemployment that nobody has any money and then they can't go shopping so that the fact that the shelves are empty is not as important anymore. <laughs> this yeah. is kind of the thinking. This is kind of the thinking that's behind. Well, it's very stupid. Uh, has you know nothing to do with the value of currency and so forth. Um, 
And unfortunately, the, the direction that we're going right now in it's a soft landing, hard landing, well, all of those are varieties of landing, which kind of means a recession. Yeah. And don't we know, what's the pattern that we've established recently when there's a recession or a notable slowdown? What happens next, right? Well, Congress yeah. starts to spend a lot of money, and, and because they want to, like, you know, there's an election coming up, and they just like to vomit money over the landscape these days. And then what happens? Well, they start to lean on the central bank to pick up part, some of the tab for that, right? And they've gotten away with it. And so the easy money and potentially even money creation, money printing process uh, comes back. And we think that if we do that again, the inflationary consequences could be substantially more severe than we're experiencing now. You know, I think for so many average investors right now, Nathan, um, it can feel like there's so many factors out of our control. When we talk about inflation, anything that you can say to the average person, hey, here's what you can do, here's what you can control? We have a chapter in the book that, that talks a little bit about asset markets and investing and so forth. And I guess the, the most important thing we wanted to say is that we have a floating fiat currency system. The value of the dollar is not stable. And in the past, especially during the 1970s, it can fall a lot. Uh, we've estimated that the value of the dollar fell about 90% during that decade. Yeah. It was worth about 10 cents afterwards. Well, that has happened in the past, and they didn't even have like the money printing issues we have today. Uh, so if we, if we, we should know that this is possible, that maybe five or 10 years from now, that our money will be worth one-tenth of what it is worth today. And just to think about what that means for your salary, your income, your investment portfolio. Uh, typically in these situations, gold bullion has been the primary uh, lifeboat. It's the one thing in the in the investing world that it doesn't really go up in value, doesn't pay a dividend, but it doesn't go down in value either. And when currencies go to are, are going in down in value, that is a very desirable characteristic. Great insights, um, great in, great take on inflation, right? As so many people, so many uh, of those writing headlines, looking for clickbait, trying to make sense of inflation. Uh, if you're interested in digging into this more, this is a book, Inflation by Steve Forbes, Nathan Lewis, Elizabeth Ames. Uh, Nathan Lewis joining us tonight with his insights in it. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Straight ahead, gas prices jumped again. Why it's happening, when they could get lower, and how to get the most out of your tank of gas. All right, for those of you planning for retirement, and gosh, I certainly hope that's all of you. At some point, there are some mistakes that we see time and time again that we would say, if you can avoid these, uh, you're going to be in much better shape when it comes to that time for retirement. One of those is kind of underestimating the importance of your 401k. Free money. Free money. Get yes. your free money here. Yeah. A 401k. I, I, I mean, we talk about it a lot, but sometimes people say, I just don't, I don't have the free money to go ahead and, and contribute to my 401k. I've got kids and are, you know, they're going into college. What? There are a gazillion reasons why people don't put money in their 401k, but you have to, because yeah. it's pre-tax. It's pre-tax. Yeah, you pay no tax on the money when you earn it. It grows tax deferred. And someday, yeah, you'll pay tax on it. 
But if you handle it right, you may not be worried about taxes because it grew to such a big number over all those years you were contributing. So the reason I'm talking about free money, Amy, is most companies have a match and it literally is free money. If you put enough into your 401k to get the full amount of your match, they're giving it to you. If it's, if it's 50 cents on the dollar, that's a 50% rate of return. Don't turn away and say, I, I don't feel like taking free money. Here's the stats. Uh, you know, of those employees or employers who offer company matches, 49% offer no matching funds, right? But of those who do, 41% have a contribution match up to 6% of total wages. Yeah. For those of you in the lucky, 10% of all employers offer a match of 6% or more. And so for those that don't take advantage of it, and I saw a st stat on this last week, Stephen, it's a huge percentage. There are literally millions of people out there who are walking away from, and picture I this, know. your boss, palm stretched in front of you with money in it, trying to give it to you, and you're just pushing it back towards them, saying, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need your money. When you understand, first of all, that your 401k is probably your best tool for planning for retirement, right? How it works, that there are some great tax implications along with it, but that you can put free money into this and how that money compounds through the years. This is something that I think so many people, Steve, said it and forget it, but absolutely yep. should not. Hey, Amy, if you knew how many people I've sat down with over the years, and these are people that are engaged in touch with their finances, sitting down with an investment advisor and financial planner, and when I ask them, uh, what's your match at work? I don't know. I, I never looked into it. They yeah. don't know. You know, so if you don't know, and let's say it's 50 cents on the dollar up to 6%, and you just kind of said, yeah, I'll put 5% in, you're giving away free money. And these are people that are engaged, never mind the people that are just too busy in life or, you know, figure this is uh, over their head, which it's not, if you just learn some basic concepts. Um, yeah, let, let, don't, don't give it up. And there are some companies out there that will give up to 9%, Duke University over 13%. Wow. And it's not even tied to the percentage that you put in. If you put a dollar in the plan, they will give you 13%. And I know of a local employer that all you have to do is participate. Just put a dollar into the plan and they will give you a full match, not on the dollar, but on what they declare as the percentage they're putting in on employees' behalf for that year. So if you don't know how your company's match works, please ask HR. And if you are someone who is interested in participating in the great resignation, right? There's so many people out there looking for new jobs. What we have seen during this time as employers try to get creative, right, with how they're attracting new yeah. workers is they have sweetened the deal when it comes to their benefits. So if you're looking at the possibility of two jobs, ask specific questions about those benefits and specifically th that 401k, because that could be the decision maker for a lot of people. Yeah, I've got another one for you, Amy. Dividends. A lot of people, especially in Cincinnati, own Procter and Gamble. But yep. you know, a lot of people have various stocks that that they inherited, they bought when they were younger, and they're having the dividends paid out. Well, okay, check for twenty bucks is kind of nice. But do you realize how much compounding you get if you reinvest those dividends? And 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 the thought by a lot of people is, well, yeah, but you know, this this you know, taxes and everything. Listen, you're taxed whether or not you reinvest the dividend or not. So at least let it reinvest unless you're retired and living off of that money so that you buy more shares so that that 2% dividend or that 3% dividend 
adds up to a much bigger number when you really do need it because instead of taking a $20 check and blowing it, you're out there buying more and more shares, which is kind of a, a great way of dollar cost averaging. Yeah. It can be significant over a long period of time. Another thing I see people, a huge mistake I see people making is you get distracted by your long-term goals when something new comes down the pike. I'm talking about cryptocurrency, pot stocks, you name it, meme <laughs> stocks, right? Yep, I've had yep. so many people over the past couple of years stop me about cryptocurrency and in, you know, they're jumping in. Why are you jumping in? Well, because my friend made X amount on it. Okay, well, explain to me how this works. Well, I have no idea, but I think it's a good investment because other, no, absolutely shiny, not. Shiny new object. Yes, yeah. right. And if you are taking money at, that you would have been putting into your 401k or an IRA or your child's 529 or you name it, long-term smart diversified investments to put it into these things this is my concern with how maybe your retirement plan will end up right when you get there yeah. gosh I wish I hadn't been distracted by this or I lost a lot to that uh, it, it can go wrong really quickly so something huge to keep an eye on here's the simply money point your 401k match using dividends to your advantage and knowing just what's worked throughout history kind of avoiding those shiny new objects three keys to remember on the road to retirement. All right, they went down for a few days. Well, I guess prices are up yet again and what the future holds. Next, you're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Gas prices below $2. Oh my gosh, such a distant memory. Gas prices below $4. Still a memory now, unfortunately, because we've seen prices going back up, trending in the wrong direction recently. Yeah, you know, it was only about, what, a year and a half ago we were talking two, $2 a gallon gas? Yep. Amazing. I, I yeah. mean, and, and now we're talking about, wouldn't it be nice if gas prices got back down to $4? Yeah, it, it, it's I don't like this. This is not the new normal. I don't like it. It seems to be in place, at least for the time being. But man, oh, man, it's uh, it's getting expensive. Right. If you're wondering, OK, what the heck is going on? Right. What created what's the reason behind the latest spike? Well, the European Union kind of said, hey, we're going to sanction Russian oil like enough of this. Right. And a huge portion of the European Union gets their, their source of oil is from Russia. So those sanctions can have a huge impact on the global oil market. At the same time, we're heading into hurricane season. Why do we care about that? Well, how many times have we had gas prices go up after a huge storm hits refineries? So it's kind of, and I, I, I use this term a lot, but it is the perfect storm of just all these things at the same time crashing down on us, especially, of course, at the gas tank. Yeah, well, I, that might be the reason for the, the recent rise. But when, when you cut production and cut distribution, you're going to see a big, big increase in prices. And that, that's kind of what's been going on over the past year and a half. So, you know, we've seen this jump almost immediately from $2 to, to a high $3. Uh, and, and then Russia invades Ukraine. That bumps it up uh, over 4 uh, And then lately we've had pulling those uh, uh, sales of uh, oil and gas leasing um, uh, properties. And so we've got all this international instability that when you combine that 
with potential for refinery shutdowns, reformulations. That's why we're seeing a floor of around $4, and it may get higher because there's there's not a lot of pressure on it to come down. For, for gas to come back down, Amy, we've got to see a huge amount of production flooding the marketplace there, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. And keep in mind, right, we're heading into summer, which is the peak travel season. And if you're looking for any good news, right, as you're maybe heading out on a road trip, According to Gas Buddy, they say there's little, if any, hope that gas prices will go down heading into the summer. So what can you take, can do? Well, little hope here. But if you have a gas rewards card, like the Blue Cash Preferred Card from Amazon Express, you get 3% back. That means on $2,000 worth of gas, you're going to earn 60 bucks in rewards. It seems like a drop in the bucket. But, Steve, I think we're at the point kind of where just every little bit helps. Yeah, and, and maybe cut down on your speed. Um, uh, when my wife drives, drives, I know we spend a lot more on gas because she tends to get there quick. Oh, sure. Blame it on Anne, right? Just, right, I think we're all mindful of the cost now, so just be mindful of how you're driving. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.